This is LifeSpring Podcast number 52. Hi, folks. This is Brian Duncan speaking for the National ADD Council. Uh, and I would like to talk to you about the thousands of people who are affected by... Hey, what is this button uh, do? Uh, are we recording yet, Paul? Cut. Take two. Yeah, uh, Brian Duncan here, uh, speaking for the National ADD Council. ADD is uh, is short for Attention Deficit Disorder. Hey, you know what else is green? Cut. Take three. Hi, this is Brian Adams for... <laughs> Take four. Hi, this is Brian Duncan. No way! Who brought the Krispy Kremes? The National ADD Council. If you don't help, then this may never end. Please contribute. Hey, man, you want some donuts? Because, you know, hey, you know what? Have you ever skied out here at the, at the mountains where you... Hey, wait. You know, I got a great idea for another song. Welcome. Welcome to LifeSpring. I'm Steve Webb, your host. You know, Jesus said, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Remember, it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your age, your sex, your station in life. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? LifeSpring is about answering that question and the question of how and why the answer can and does affect your life today. What will you find here? Well, you'll find music, conversation, and reasons to believe. Today we've got a very special conversation, we've got very special music, and again, I hope you find some reasons to believe. This is a great show today. As I told you last week, I spent some time recently with multiple gold and platinum album recipient, Brian Duncan. I've been a fan of Brian since the mid-70s, and I've been privileged over the last couple of years to come to be able to call him my friend. He lives right here in Riverside, California, not far from where I live. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. Brian was the lead singer of one of the seminal groups in Christian music way back in the mid or the late 70s. There was a movement going on that started here in Southern California. It was called the the Jesus Movement. Uh, There was a bunch of Jesus freaks running around and they were playing and listening to and singing Jesus music. Now, part of that included an entirely new genre of music, contemporary Christian music. The Sweet Comfort Band was one of the very first in this new genre, and they certainly brought a completely new sound to Christian music. As a singer and songwriter, Brian Duncan, as the lead singer of the Sweet Comfort Band, can easily take some credit for that. Now, Brian was raised as a preacher's kid. He went to church. He went to Christian schools. And at 19, he and some friends found themselves in one of Christian music's top-selling new bands. But somewhere along the line, Brian Duncan found that his view of God and his view of himself in relation to God needed redefining. He had developed some very serious problems in his personal life because he found that he had some unhealthy dependencies that he couldn't free himself from without help. He entered a 12-step rehab program. And after continuing to struggle with some of these issues in his life, he recently underwent a divorce from the woman that he'd been married to for the last 30-odd years. It is on this topic that we join the conversation I had with Brian. The problem is with the divorce thing and with whatever you don't live up to, is a lot of times it it leads to people becoming more and more deceptive where you, you try to pretend like you're better shape than you are. Well, that's a pretty common thing, though, isn't it? I mean, almost everybody does that. That's not the way it ought to be. That was a discussion, as a matter of fact, that we had at the uh, the table yesterday. Is um, It's said that the divorce rate among Christians is probably about the same as it is in the world. But, you know, I'm thinking it could possibly even be more because when a young couple gets married as a Christian or as Christians, everything is automatically supposed to be okay. And so they're less likely to go get help yep. when yep. they need it. Interesting thought. I never thought about that. I know that in in my case, the first time around with my first marriage, uh, it wasn't until things were, you know, beyond repair practically that we went for some help. Well, I think, too, you know, people don't don't see the possibility like in in my case where, you know, spiritually we weren't, even spiritually, I'm a believer, my wife's a believer. Right. Spiritually, we're still not on the same page. Right, right. Well, I think, um, as in so many other things, there's a balance. 
there too. I mean, you don't want to presume on God's grace. No. But the reason that there is grace is because we don't, we can't follow the law. Yeah. Well, that's that's certainly been my experience. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm I'm like I'm done. You know, I'm just like, well, I've now with the loss of my marriage, I'm I'm. You know, I've I've lost all hope for you know the, the last vestige of self righteousness that I might have had. Mm, mm, yeah. You know, I certainly feel disqualified. So. What do you mean by that? You feel disqualified? Well, you know, if somebody wants to find fault, man, I've got all the obvious signs. You know, I don't. Um, I see it as a, being a monument to God's grace. If that doesn't work, then you know nothing else has. Mm-hmm. You know, I I followed all the rules best I could, and I it became more and more apparent the older I got that that I was just fooling myself. Cause that's what I believe Before I ever said it now Never wanna see your face Speak to you again Cause I can live without pain I can handle my own sin I never lied to you Never lied to you
Till I lie to myself Hey, oh, till I lie to myself Have a, a story that's unique in not unique necessarily but uh, different than the average Joe because you have been in kind of the limelight for most of your adult life yeah and you've been known since you were a child as you know you're, you're a preacher's kid you know and and it was always assumed that uh, you know coming from that kind of a family and then going into Christian music at what you were around 20 or so when you first went with Sweet Comfort Sweet Comfort started, yeah, when I was 19. Okay. So, you know, all of your adult life. Yeah. It's a long it, time. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long time. So you've been in that limelight. You've been a, quote-unquote, professional Christian your whole life. Dude, that sounds awful, doesn't it? It does, doesn't a it? professional Christian. But isn't that true? Um, a but professional Christian is, is, uh, is almost a pretentious... Um, what I what I call performance based reality uh, re- religion performance based yeah. religion. Okay. My religion was based on um, on how I could do it. I mean, we 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 always talked about uh, unconditional love and God's grace and the fact that He had to die for us. But somehow there's still that just that undercurrent of let me show you how it's done. Mm-hmm. And you know, it that somehow that I could improve my standing with God by by getting all the rules right and doing everything right. Yeah. Um, I never saw the scriptures as this is the standard. This is what God says is is the the way to live. Right. Not because you have to, but because this is what's going to make you uh is going to keep you out of the most unhappiness. Yes. And it's not that God's in, his, his primary goal is not that you be happy. Right. Um, the process of learning about him and, and going through the hardships and the trials uh, to become stronger is, I mean, God's end is the process. Well, at least that's my impression. Um, so, I mean, you know, to think that, well, if I just get it, if I'm really a good Christian, you know, and I follow all the rules and I get it all right, then I have a little extra something coming. Yeah. You know? And, um, boy, it's really disillusioning when you... Because it leads to self-righteousness and arrogance and uh, pride. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing how, how many ways the seven deadly sins can sneak up on you from behind yeah. and blindside you. Right. Pride is probably the biggest the biggest thing, you know. Where There's a lot of years where I just felt like I was just a little better than everybody else. Huh. It was just, well, these people, yeah. these people don't know what they're doing. And, right. You know, if they'd just do this and this and this and stop doing that and that and that, right, right. you know, then they could be like me, <laughs> you know. Toward the end of, toward the end of that self-righteous, uh, you know, stint, you know, I found myself, after taking a moral inventory of my own life, and I wasn't as happy as some heathens that I knew, yeah. you know, I wasn't. Because I wasn't allowing, um, like in recovery, they talk about accepting this sinful world as it is and not as I would have it. Mm-hmm. You know, God obviously doesn't have any problem leaving the world in a in an unraveled situation, right? And and letting people have their own free will, um, Christian or not Christian, and it's really hard to get used to that and start to realize, wow, you know, and I haven't been really seeing things from God's perspective. I've been seeing them from my perspective as God. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that doesn't work so good. That, well, it hasn't so far. Uh-huh. <laughs> as somebody who had that exposure, tell the listeners what happened then when you were, what was it, about 36 that you decided that you had a problem? That there was a recovery thing that needed to be... I don't want to give it away without... Well, thir- around 36 or 37, you know... Um, I've had a couple of pastors. One of them was from 
uh, the author uh, Rick Warren from Saddleback right. was talking about there there are phases of your life where you know you're kind of in your early twenties you become kind of accomplishment oriented and you're driven to succeed um, in physical terms you know in something that you can see that looks good on paper and then you know I think some of some of my uh, realizations at thirty seven were you know probably a natural result of of the age uh, place that I was in you you start to realize that your accomplishments don't quite make you happy and and significance on paper doesn't make you feel significant on the inside that's when I started to take a serious moral inventory of of my life realized that I had I had lots of unmanageable uh, dependencies I don't I don't make them really all that public but it's the same thing over and over again it's it's um, just about anything in your life can become an unmanageable dependency when it when it becomes uh, a way of coping rather than um, rather than trusting God you you turn to Pentecostals have a tendency to trust food yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. we talk about God but if we get it's a, it's a pop co- uh, psychology term in a lot of ways but I understand the concept of when you feel good, I'll feel better. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, right. And I think it's, I think passive aggression and codependent behavior is is uh, rampant in, in Christian circles because it looks like genuine humility and, and Christian faith. You know, if, I, if I'm more interested in your well-being at the cost of my own, mm. um, that somehow that looks really spiritual. Right, right. Because but it's I'm, a, because Jesus said that I should put you above me. Yeah. Right. You can't give some something to someone out of out of a empty place in your own life, though. I met a man of God. I was on the low end of a straight and narrow road. Bye.
mean, if you haven't, if you don't have any fullness in your own life, you got nothing to give. Right. And it's real easy to, to mimic, humility, and, and, and look like you're doing all the right things, and you're preferring others above yourself. That's really nice. Um, but there's a balance in there that that doesn't get explained very well, and you can find yourself living a real fake fake religion without even knowing it, being mm-hmm. complete denial about who God is. is. It's like in the recovery program, they talk about improving your conscious contact with God. That serenity prayer, I think, has, has more practical application of spirituality than anything that I've found mm-hmm. in my lifetime. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. It's amazing how you can read scripture and still not know the difference between what you can change and what you cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's my own personal experience. Well, I think that's true. But but again, here we go back to the way the typical Christian looks at things. Even if it's nothing that, that I personally can't change, maybe if I pray hard enough, maybe my prayers will move God to make things the way I want them to be. That sounds like one of those Stephen Arburn quotes. He's got 21 myths, uh, common misconceptions uh-huh. about what God's going to do, yeah. what he's not going to do. Yeah. Is it like, you know, if, if my prayer isn't answered, I'm not living strong enough life for God. Right. God only uses, you know, great men of God. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's all kinds of them. There was some really amazing things. One of them was... Um, if I live righteous enough, God has to bless me. Uh-huh. <laughs> on. Um, you know, think that one through for a second. Um, just common misconceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, you know, a lot of my recovery stuff um, was me dealing with with my, uh, with the lies that I bought. Mm-hmm. And they're, su- they're subtle, that God owes me something. Right. You know, if if I do all the right things, and he owes me something. Do you blame anybody for those lies that you bought? Who do you blame, if anybody? I, I blamed everybody for a long time. Yeah. I started to realize that it was my own. This is the process thing that I'm, that I've learned, is that we're all kind of in a process, even if you know Christ, there's the process of getting to know him and getting to understand what he's going to do and what he's not going to do and why he's going to do it and why he's not going to do it you know and all we all we see is what we want and and when we want it and you know spend most of your life you know uh, making a list of things you want God to do for you yeah um, the most obnoxiously hard thing for me to deal with is to follow Christ and have him not tell me a, a single thing about what what my definition of life um, is going to entail. You know, if you would have told me where I was going to be 10 years down the road, at any given time in my life, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to handle it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd never know I would be here today right. doing what I'm doing and living where I'm living. I, I would have never thought of, of you know, you're, you're, we're constantly trying to at least, okay, let me just say this. I spent my whole life defining myself by who I thought I ought to be as a believer rather there than trusting There we go again, God. being especially somebody in the limelight, don't you think? Oh, that's the, you know, I, I've got no way to know because yeah. that's, all I've ever, that's all I've ever known. Okay, yeah, that's, okay. Um, that's reasonable. But all I know is I, I grew up, you know, being in the limelight, you just grew up in a people-pleasing mentality you were an approval addict all the time and the only way you could tell there's a subconscious thing being in in christian music that if i was really a a strong enough believer i would sell more records i mean i the biggest in other words the biggest selling record people that sold the most records were probably closer to god Uh it's a subtle thing nobody would say that out loud but it's subconsciously believed interesting and that means that Billy Graham is closer to God than the guy that's preaching to only 25 people over right. here. Um, it, it, it looks looks genuine because that's the American way. You know, yeah. we judge a person's success by the size of their operation. Sure. 
And, you know, God doesn't seem to be remotely interested in the size. In fact, you know, you go back to the Old Testament, you know, even Joshua, he says, you got too many men here. I want to do this where nobody can say, yeah, well, he was a big conglomerate and he had his act together. Right. You know, right. God tends to to um, to smirk at our largeness, uh, you know, and our big efforts. I think the most effective way to communicate Christ is to li- is to live with somebody. Um, you know, we got a lot of we got plenty of people, you know, broadcasting and water sprinkling and you know, just throwing the throwing scripture out at everybody. But we don't have too many people sitting with the sick mm-hmm. and the dying or sitting with the guy in jail or or going through something with somebody. I, I think the most effective way to communicate Christ and and the need for him is a real long term process. Yeah. It's a it's a daily it's somebody seeing my life on a regular basis mm-hmm. and seeing something besides, well he does this and then he does that and he goes to church and he Jesus spent thirty years with twelve guys. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the communication is. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, standing there with Peter going, you know, you're gonna screw this up. Uh-huh. Let me just tell you something. <laughs> By the end of the night, you're gonna like act like you don't know me three times in a row mm-hmm. and just let me know how that feels later mm-hmm. but he was also back back with him after that yeah. too and that's where people are going to see um, the love of God for them it's it's when you've made just the worst mistakes in your life and right. and the believer the true believer is back at your door going still loves you yeah you you're not qualified anymore. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. Want to go get something to eat? Right. Um, and you don't see a lot of that. And I, but I think it goes on. I, I think, I think God's work goes on, and His love, um, you know, permeates um, the world. But it it permeates the world through re- personal relationships with others. You know, I still don't understand everything that I know about God, and and my conscious contact with Him. Um, he he becomes more and more unfamiliar to me. The way he works and the way he chooses to do things. <coughs> the only thing that I've noticed different is that is that my prayer life doesn't revolve around a list of things I want God to do. You know, fix this for me. Right. For me, take care of this problem. Right. I don't ask God to remove problems from my life very often because I've started to understand that that is the very valley of the shadow of death that strengthens my faith and the things that he puts in my life and the struggles that that just will not go away are the very things that make me turn to Christ in the first place Mm -hmm. you know I spent a lot of time asking God for healings and transformations and instantaneous you know fixes yep and I got none of that right it's interesting when when Jesus healed the lepers. Only one of them came back, because mm-hmm. once you're fixed, you know you move on to the next thing. Yeah. And I, and I think that's exactly why God leaves you with your scars and your and your wounds, and and sometimes lets them be there. Mm. And it's like a book I read called The Victorious Limp. None of us get out of this really shiny. Right. Um, humility. Genuine humility is hard to come by, and it's 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 just downright humbling. Humility is humbling. I have to write that yeah, down. Yeah, humility <laughs> is humbling. You know, it wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't so embarrassing. <laughs> um, but if you improve your conscious contact with God, and you start to realize He knew me before I was born. Yep. He knows what I'm going to do tomorrow. Right. That that I I can't possibly destroy His plan down down the road. With with my free will, my free will is mine, and I've I've probably paid some circumstances, but he takes all of those things and creates something completely new, and he keeps me in the ball game. Yeah. And I don't really understand that, but and it doesn't look at all like what I thought it would look like. Right. But it's genuine. Mm-hmm. It's genuine, and it feels relaxed, and and there's not a there's not an overwhelming sense of wow I got to get this done or I got to perform or I got to come through. I got to make the, I got to make the final hit, you know, to win the ball game. Right. I, I don't have to do that. That's grace. 
I'm still on the team, and I, I didn't even make the cut. Yeah. Um, God does exactly what he wants to do. And, you know, I was reading Oswald Chambers about it recently, too, where he, I, I said this earlier, was God's end is the process. I mean, he likes the process. You think about it, if you're an eternal being, you know, the point of, of, of reaching, you know, a destination is not is not even an interesting thing. It's That's the, true. He, he's completely in the moment and completely dealing with exactly what's happening right now in your life and and to know him is, is to is to understand that that he's in the moment and he's in the process of of taking me somewhere. Right. Of of building something in me that I didn't that wasn't there before. Right. And um we spent all our time, you know, in college learning how to be just the right, you know, Christian minister, whatever right. form that we want to Looking at do. an end product down the Thinking road. Thinking that, yeah, in four years I'll be a preacher, and then, boy, I'll be really something for God. Uh-huh. And God's saying, in four years you're going to screw it all up, and then I'm going to have you start over, and you're going to be over here doing this. Uh-huh. And, you know, I just... You know, the thing that I think about that with, with divorce, because, you know, I never thought I would be in this place. Um, but, you know, it takes, you know, I've been in a recovery program for a number of problems, and nobody can tolerate an alcoholic like another alcoholic. And, and I think sometimes um, God has to break us before we we are tolerant of other broken people. Yes. And, um, you know, it's not a justification for my mistakes. Right. It, it's just a truth. Mm-hmm. It's a truth that I I feel for people who, who, are, who are coming to terms with the fact that they can't make something happen mm-hmm. by themselves mm-hmm. or that, that they can't stop a behavior by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have, I have a compassion for people who are who are lost where I used to have an indignant irritation with them. Mm. When are you going to get your act together? Mm-hmm. You know, I certainly felt that, and I was reasonably righteous. <laughs> you know, 45% of the time I was relatively righteous. Uh-huh. And, and um, just the intolerance of... of I, I certainly sensed it in my, in my life from other believers... The believers were the ones that hurt you the most, you know, is because they always had their arms folded, and it was like, "When are you going to get this right? Mm. Like, when are you going to be like us yeah. and get this right?" Well, you know, it's easy to to be in that place if if the person you're looking at has a problem that you don't have. Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, everybody has their shortcomings, and everybody um, is has has their own defects of character. There's a thing about love that you never feel until you realize that you um, you should be disqualified. There, there is nothing like that feeling to confess to somebody, you know, the worst of your sins and have them still love you. Mm. If you stay in denial and and act like you're the best thing since sliced bread or you're a relatively good person, right. the only disappointing thing about that is you never feel the depth of God's love for you when you don't deserve it. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, that may be the best thing about, about my mistakes Mm -hmm. and why I don't regret them at this point. Yeah. It's not just about being forgiven. It's about, wow, if I hadn't failed, right. I wouldn't be able to experience the depth of love that God has for me, um, quite on this level. I learned one thing in recovery, uh, just improving the words, in, I sought to improve my conscious contact with God. I, I never thought of it as improving my conscious contact with God. My, my relationship with God was a matter of, you know, devotions and, you know, pontifications of prayers and prayer lists. And here's the things I need for you to do this uh-huh. week. Right. And How do you I, see it now? I never saw it as stopping and trying to see God in... in and his love and his personality in er- in everyday experiences. A classic example of, of of a moment that 
I really sensed the presence of God um, the other day, and this is probably going to sound like some kind of flower power kind of thing, but, you know, I live in an apartment complex, and most of these people won't talk to you because, you know, everybody comes and goes so fast. Um, but I was just, I was playing in the swimming pool, you know. I was down at the pool, and there's like five little kids in there, and their moms weren't paying an ounce of attention to them. And I don't know why one of them decided to say hi to me, but I said hi back to her. And, and then, you know, within about three minutes, you know, they wanted me to watch them dive and mm -hmm. jump. Watch me, watch me, watch me. And I'm going, wow, I felt like their dad kind of, you know, it's like they just wanted somebody to, to acknowledge them, mm -hmm. to validate their existence. And I taught them how to jackknife into the pool. Uh -huh. You know, I had four little kids jumping into the pool on their butts. <laughs> um, and when I walked away from that, there was no miraculous things happened there. But it was just like there was a sense of the presence of God in in genuine uh, connection with children and kids that I don't even I to this day don't I don't know what their names are. Uh -huh. I think some of them were visiting. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm talking about by improving your conscious contact with God to see Him moving through children. Just to hear his voice in in somebody's laughter, or in their tears, yeah. or or to to understand that he that he, that he has control of just the most what seems like the most outrageous chaos, you know, is to understand that God can walk on the chaos of your life just now. Um, is um, that's what improving your conscious contact with God is to me. It's being aware of his presence, you know, in stupid little things. Uh -huh. I mean, little insignificant. That's a thing. Is I find God in the most insignificant places. I mean, and I think he's just absorbed with with insignificance. And to us, you know, from our perspective, right? Um, the things that he finds, you know, absolutely attractive. You know, it's like Gary Smalley always said: Why does God make the most beautiful fish and stick them in the bottom of the ocean? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a classic characteristic of God himself, is that he's not worried about who's looking. Yeah. You know, he does it for his own pleasure. Uh-huh. I'm going, wow, that's the way I should act. I should do my work. I should write my songs and sing and do what I do just because whether anybody gets it or not, it's just, well, I should do this because this feels really good. Uh-huh. You know, and that's how I approach my songs and my music and things and but I'm going wow you know there's moments when you finish a song and you hear the playback and you're just going oh man that makes the hair stand up on my arms you know I think that's the pleasure of God and that comes from improving your conscious awareness of him that's part of trusting him though isn't it what I mean by trusting is when it when it when you've got the song done or as even in the writing process, where did that that ability to write come from? It came from God. And yeah. So, well, I imagine there's a there's an assumption that if God gives you a talent, that He's gonna He's gonna do something with it that you would recognize. Um, my my trusting of God is to do what I was what I feel born to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel God's pleasure in in singing mm -hmm. it's like that <laughs> run into winds uh, that movie you know I feel God's pleasure when I run mm -hmm. what does it mean uh, maybe it doesn't mean anything for anybody else maybe it's just God's connection with me right and you know for me to trust that this is right when nobody else is saying that the, that it's good mm -hmm. um, that's where the trust comes in and that's that's an everyday experience, mm -hmm. you know, because I still have all the same thought processes that I always had. I have to fight my thought, my old thought processes. What thought processes do you fight? The process is that I'm not significant unless other people are, are impressed. Okay. That's one of the worst for me. I was an approval, ad, uh, an approval addict, mm -hmm. um, codependent, Right. you know. Right. I couldn't feel good about anything that I did or anything that I was if somebody didn't like it. Right. 
I've started to realize that not all Christians will like me. Mm. You know, not just people generally, but not all Christians. Mm. You, know, you kind of have that sense that we're all in a big club somehow. Right. You know, I've written letters to God. Dear God, I don't like some of your friends. <laughs> but you can't deal with, with those thought processes unless you face them. Interesting. Now, probably almost everybody, if not everybody, in the any kind of in the entertainment world has that, though, the, the approval addiction. Every, I mean, that's why you're in the performance arts is for people's approval. Yeah, but there's a there's an insecurity that, you know, a lot of people in, in entertainment, you know, um, industry especially, um, also get severely addicted to drugs and sure. try to check out and sure. wind up killing themselves one way or the other. You know, I think there's a, there's a direct insecurity when you when you tie your significance to what it is that you do rather than who you are mm -hmm. um, you're headed for a real bad place because mm -hmm. um, you'll never be able to do enough uh, to satisfy you or the public mm -hmm. um, it's never enough mm -hmm. and that's and I meant in the long run that's why you you really need to come to know Christ because Christ can give you a sense that you are okay if you don't get anything right done today. That the person that you are is exactly what he wanted you to be. And then you start to want to do the right things for the right reasons rather than, well, I'm just going to follow these rules. Mm. And the right reasons would be? Doing things for the right reasons is... Following Christ because I want to, um, rather than I have to. Hmm. I'm going to follow him because he's just absolutely irresistible. I'm going. What do, What do you want? What do you want me to do now? Just you know, it's like when you're on a computer. You know, it's like it feels a whole lot better to be on that computer when you got the text sitting right next to you to tell you what not to click on, mm -hmm. so that you you lose all of your information. <laughs> uh, and and. I think I think life is worse than a computer, you know, and one wrong click can send you down a road that just take you all day to get back from. Mm -hmm. And that's life is like that continually. So knowing Christ is like having a computer tech next to you going, don't click that. You know, no, you don't want to go there. That'll erase all your hard drive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's the best way I can describe it, you know. And so, I mean... Um, to know Christ like that is um, that gives you a sense of well-being that you don't have when it's not there. Mm. You know, it's living life without Christ is like living, like punt, clicking on buttons all over the computer and not knowing where you're, what you're doing, or how you got there. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, and if you've ever been in a computer nightmare, you know, once you click one thing and then you move on to the next thing, pretty soon you're so far you know, unraveled, you can't even figure out how to get out of it. <laughs> you know, you, you've got it so screwed up that you can't even, you don't even know how to turn the thing off. Yeah. I've gotten in a place like that, just talking about computer nightmares because that is the recording business these days. It's just, it's, yes, it's all on sound the samples and downloadable files. And, and I don't have a clue about what I'm doing. Mm. So it feels good to know that, you know, to have this guy going, okay, well, what do I do here? Mm -hmm. you know, okay, how do I get out of this mess? You know, that's that seems to be a good reason to follow Christ. Uh, um, the ultimate tech support. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, there's other reasons to follow Christ. You know what I mean? Um, but you know, it's just kind of like, okay, if there is a God, I think maybe we it might be behoove us to to know something about Him. Yeah, very good. That's a good way to wrap it up. Yeah. Good. Thanks for having me on. Brian Duncan is a man that loves God, and he knows Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Remember last week's topic, forgiveness? Jesus told Peter that he should forgive his brother 77 times if he asks for it. What Jesus was illustrating there was that God is a God of second chances, in third, in fourth, and so on. Jesus knows that we're going to blow it. He knows that we're going to fail. 
But if we will continue to struggle to be like him, if we ask him for forgiveness, he will forgive us. It tells us that in 1 John in the New Testament. You know, Brian's story is not unique. We all have issues that we struggle with. Because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for each of us when he gave his life on the cross, we can keep coming back to God, asking for forgiveness. And all the music from today's show is from Brian's latest CD and DVD called Music City Live. You can buy the CD or you can buy the DVD or you can buy both. Now they're available from brianduncan.com or lifewaystores.com or familychristian.com. Now the CD is great. I mean the, the music is great. You've been hearing it on today's podcast. But I really recommend the DVD. I've got both. And I spent much of the day just watching the DVD. You get a great seat at a live concert that Brian did with his new band, the Neo Soul Band. The concert was in uh, Nashville, Music City, and that's why they call the uh, the CD Music City Live. Now, I'm telling you, this Neo Soul Band is made up of some fantastic musicians. Uh, one of the cuts on the on the CD and the DVD, uh, you, you, each one of them has a solo. And, uh, oh man, I'm telling you, they, they just really know how to play you get it. Now, what's really cool about the DVD that you don't get so much just listening to the music is when you watch the DVD and you see Brian at this concert, you really get a great look at the personality of this guy. In addition to that, there's some great bonus material on the DVD that you don't have on the CD. So I really highly recommend that you spend a few extra dollars to buy the DVD. You will not be disappointed, okay? Now, this is Brian's own album, or this is Brian's own uh, label. Okay, Red Road Records. Um, he's an indie artist now, okay? Just like most of the artists that you hear on podcasts. So support him. But go out there and buy his stuff. Now, you'll find links at the show notes webpage at lifespringpodcast.com. You can contact me at steve.lifespring at gmail.com. Now, I'd love to add you to my mailing list as well. Just send me an email there at steve.lifespring at gmail.com, and I'll add you to the list. Now, after I sign off here, I've got one more Brian Duncan song, so uh, don't tune out yet, okay? Remember, Lifespring is where we want to tell you how being a follower of Christ can make a difference in your life today. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your age, your sex, your station in life. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Lifespring is about answering that question and the question of how and why the answer can and does affect your life today. I'm your host, Steve Webb, and I'll see you next time. You might remember this when this goes back about 12 years. It was a number one single for three times in a row.
What's more? 